0: Well, if you've been here in worship with us over the past couple of months, you know that we're working our way through the Gospel of John, section by section, looking to John's purpose when he said, These things are written, these signs are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it is our purpose here that we may be drawn deeper into faith and life In Jesus' name, bringing glory to God through our life in him. Although this gospel was the last of the four to come together as a whole manuscript, I'm just reminding you, we've gone over some of this, but all right, sometimes it's said John was the last gospel to be pulled together, and it's rarefied, it's unique. Although it was the last of the four to come together, numerous bits of John's insights and memories were circulating from the very early times of the first century. In fact, they were some of the first writings to be circulated amongst the church. And scholars recognize that these texts were very influential as the early Christians began to tell the story of what happened and what it all meant. John was highly respected as a witness to Jesus, both in what he saw with his own eyes, and in the spiritual dimension of truth that always accompanies God's presence. So we'll keep that in mind as we go through this rather difficult passage this morning. The second reading today is a continuation of Jesus' I am the Bread of Life discourse, as he now intensifies his claims and challenges his hearers in a way that made many potential followers halt in their tracks and turn away. I'm reading the final portion of this discourse, as Pastor Dan explained last week, the last third of the two-thirds, of the three-thirds. And I'm starting at verse 47 to just kind of backtrack into the context a little bit. And I'll continue through verse 71. There is no 72. So through verse 71 of chapter 6. Jesus has been talking to a crowd of eager, hungry, potential disciples Followers who partook of the plentiful meal that he created out of five little rolls and two pickled sardines. And they have followed him across the Sea of Galilee to the village of Capernaum to find out how to join this miraculous crusade. So during the discourse, the scene then shifts to the local synagogue there at Capernaum as Jesus continues to teach and enters into dialogue with some of the religious authorities. And as the passage ends... Jesus is speaking intimately with his twelve. So that's the flow of movement and, and conversation. This particular passage has caused great consternation in the church through the centuries. So let's listen and hear the word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that your forefathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that here this morning we can anticipate you will feed us on the words of life and the bread of life, that we can draw near, that we can open our hearts to you, that we can perceive things that are not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. So help us, Lord, in these words to find truth and life. Help us to find a resting place for them in our hearts and our hearts in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come, see, believe, eat, drink, and live. These are the words that Jesus uses to invite us to eternal life. Words that Jesus uses to bring our attention from that which is temporary to that which is everlasting. Come to me. See me for who I am. Believe in me and you will find that you are satisfied. Drink me in. Ruminate on me and you will live. Language is the process that creatures use to represent shared reality and communicate it to one another. This is true. Whether we are whales, singing our seasonal songs across across vast ocean distances. Or we are bees, telling each other where the good nectar is. Or whether we are babies, making our first sounds to bring mama and papa in. Or we are mathematicians at MIT, using a number language to communicate something about the nature of the universe. Words are not reality but we can use them to represent an approximation of our reality to one another if we have some experience in common. Learned and shared experience is the essence of communication and without it, a message is without meaning. For example, if I say to you, and you know Hebrew, you'll understand that I'm literally saying house of bread, and that I'm probably talking about Bethlehem in Israel, the city of David, The birthplace of the living bread and the living word. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the one word that does not merely represent reality. In a way that is truly beyond our understanding, Jesus is reality. He is the word that is reality. From the beginning of his gospel, John was building a vocabulary of metaphors to communicate experience that was wildly supernatural. The experience of hearing, seeing with our eyes, gazing upon and touching with our hands, the invisible God made manifest. He had to find words to evoke prior experience, to explain realities that were beyond the boundaries of human understanding. Like the movie director builds an opening scene that sets the context for the story to come, John builds a lexicon of belief ideas to help us understand who Jesus is. John speaks of the eternal word was with God and was with God and was God in the beginning. God talks about the word of life being the true light, the light that came into the world, and to all who believed, he gave the right to be born of God. And John says... This word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Lamb of God, nowhere in Scripture is the word incarnation to be found. But the principle of the word of God as flesh and blood comes from right here in John 1.14, the beginning of the gospel. So Jesus is the word of God made human, made flesh. John and the others have seen the fullness of God in him, God, the Son of God, has made God known to us. God, the sacrifice provided by God, will atone for the sins of the world. This is what John has told us as we enter into the story at Capernaum, This is what we know. By now, Jesus has already said that he's the true bread that came down from heaven. He heard it last week. And the synagogue leaders have already started to grumble. Isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? They're offended that Jesus is calling people to believe in him, calling himself a miracle from God. They understand the metaphor of the bread, but they don't want to accept it. So Jesus ups the ante as if to say, okay, you don't like the bread metaphor? Try this one. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Well, that really sets them off. These words of Jesus have caused consternation since the moment he uttered them. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know, it sounds like they don't know what he's talking about, but really, they probably do, and I'll tell you why. The language is there in the Psalms and the prophets. We heard it this morning from Isaiah, that speaks of thirsting for God as for living water, for tasting the Lord and seeing that God is good and satisfying to the soul, and for eating, relishing, ruminating upon, chewing on, and being sustained by the word of God. The scriptures of the Old Testament, available to every one of Jesus' hearers, are full of the image of Yahweh, God, as delicious and satisfying. These are metaphors. Yet they carry the force of real experience of hunger and the real experience of thirst, of the longing to take God in and to be filled. I think every one of us knows this longing for God. Or we wouldn't be here. Don't we say, even on the human level, when we feel a particularly strong and loving connection to someone, oh, I want to eat you up. The infant exploring the world with its mouth and latching on demonstrates this principle, I want to connect. I want to take you in. They knew. They understood the metaphor. Jesus was clearly stating, I am God, with all that implies. They should have fallen down in worship, but they didn't want to. Instead, they made it literal. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So look at what Jesus does. He meets them right where they are, keeping it real. He takes it to a new level that only those who've heard it from the Spirit will be able to understand. He is the Lamb of God. His flesh will be sacrificed and his blood poured out. Jesus has made it clear throughout the discourse that God sent him to give life to the world. And we understand him to be saying... That if anyone comes, if we come, if we allow our eyes to be opened and eat the bread of life, not only in our heads, in intellectual agreement with his good ideas, but in spirit and in truth, then we gain eternal life and he will raise us up on the last day. Jesus says scandalously that his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. He's moving beyond the metaphor so that whoever does not feed upon him and does not drink his blood will have no life in him. But we have to understand this. It's very important. You know, you remember how John wrote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally trying to explain something that can only be known by experience, John made up the word that we translate dwelt. He turned a noun into a verb. The word he used is tabernacled. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. In Jewish worship, the tabernacle was a sacred meeting place of God and his people, so we must understand that Jesus' body is the sacred place where we can meet with God. And here I want to say that although it is not Included directly in this scripture, it is taking off from here into the rest of the New Testament. We are the body of Christ. We are, and we must realize, we are the sacred meeting place where we can meet together with God. The flesh and blood and indwelling life of that embodied word will be slaughtered and poured out in fulfillment of the new covenant in his blood. As it says in Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, his flesh and blood death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Why is Jesus so insistent about this? He really presses the point home. Why is it so important for us to hear this truth? Here's why. When Jesus speaks of flesh and blood, he's teaching the physical reality of the word made flesh, He is the son of man, not just an idea. He is the flesh and blood and indwelling life of that embodied word. So Jesus is saying, yes, I am the one who is sent from God, and I stand in God's place. When Jesus insists that we must partake of his flesh and blood in order to have life in us, he is calling us to identify with his death and partake of it so that we might live. He directs us to receive his death on the cross and into our own life by faith in order to become alive. And we must also feed on him, which is to say, remain connected to him like the branches to the vine in order to stay alive. So did they say these are hard sayings? Who can understand them? No. They said these are hard sayings. Who can hear them? Who can accept them? Romans 6.11 says, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Luke 9.23 If anyone would come after me, He must take up his cross daily and follow me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. But Simon Peter, speaking for the twelve, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Come, see, believe, eat, drink, and live. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Lord, have mercy. At the heart of the matter, I believe it's a problem of will and intention. Jesus can be crystal clear about who he is and what he asks of me. But I'm just not intent on paying attention to his voice that is speaking at the deepest parts of my soul where the spirit dwells. Maybe I'm dazzled by something else. The crowd seemed to have been so dazzled by the loaves that Jesus multiplied. That bread might have been delicious, just like the wine at the wedding of Cana. They associated God with that kind of blessing so much that they were unwilling to shift their attention from asking God for something to attending to the deeper hunger for God, which resides within every human being. They were unwilling to shift their attention From what they wanted from God to their desire for God. We have to watch out for this kind of intention problem because we want to know God as the provider of good things. But then we miss the kingdom of God because that's backwards. Our intention has to be delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. Maybe I miss... Hearing the Lord at times because he's shown up in a place that I couldn't imagine him being because I'm prejudiced about it. My eyes and ears are closed because I've made up my mind and I'm no longer listening. Like the synagogue leaders who were so zealous to find fault with Jesus and so hypervigilant against the idea that he had come from heaven that they were unable to grasp that God was literally standing within their reach. A lot of religious people dismissed Jesus as an impossible Messiah, even in the face of miraculous signs, because they were biased against his growing up in Nazareth or being the son of Mary and Joseph. Once they had named him that way, their perceptions closed to further information. This is a pitfall that we also need to watch out for because our minds are set up to categorize everything in terms of what we learned before. It's always more efficient to the mind to stick with what we know, whereas God may be trying to teach us something new because we just don't know everything. What's on your mind about Jesus today? Have you made up your mind about him? I like what J.I. Packer said, Jesus is the person who confronts us through his word and confronts us in his character as Savior and Lord And when we realize that he's confronting us, then we have to respond to him. Not by walking away, but by saying, Lord, where else would we go? Let us come, open our eyes that we may see, believe, eat, drink, and live. This is the good news. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are so deep. Your thoughts are far deeper than our thoughts. Your ways far deeper and far higher than our ways. And yet, you have made yourself in our flesh so that we can apprehend in a way that we never could without Jesus, without his life, and without his death, what you have done for us. Help us to feed on you, take you in. Help us to have life in you, a life that grows and grows and something that we can offer to the world. In your name, Christ, we pray. Amen.